Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25. We're going to begin our reading at verse 10 of this chapter and then read through verse 22 of the chapter. Exodus 25, beginning at verse 10. What we hear now is God's Word. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it. And you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end, and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, for the last several weeks, I guess the last uh, several months, uh, we have been looking together at the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And we come tonight at what is uh, certainly to be considered the heart of the Old Testament tabernacle. The tabernacle was that place of meeting between God and His people. And we saw how that meeting with God had a particular approach to God. They would approach God through the courtyard, where there would be the altar and the basin. The priest would enter into the holy place with its three furnishings, the lampstand and the table for bread and the altar for incense, all of these pictures of the work of Christ. And now tonight, we come to the most holy place. And inside the most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant. A picture of God dwelling in the midst of His people. 
And once again, we see in this Ark of the Covenant pictures for us of the work of Christ. A picture particularly of His work of atonement. What Christ has done for us in order that we might have access to a holy God. Tonight, we look at the beautiful picture of the Ark of the Covenant. It is described for us. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, a cubit and a half its height. And again, as we've said, uh, there's nothing particularly significant in those dimensions given to us. It tells us how big this ark was, but it is nothing significant, it's nothing symbolic in those particular measurements. There's no typical significance here. We are told that uh, you shall overlay this ark with pure gold inside and out shall you overlay it and again kids you remember we're dealing here with gold because we're in the presence of god and in the ark not simply a gold overlaying on the outside of it but a gold overlaying on the inside as well. As we have seen, as we get closer to God in the tent of meeting, the metals get more special and more precious. And here, the ark inside and out overlaid with gold. And they were to make these, these poles of acacia wood, and they too would be covered with gold. And these rings on the side of the ark, the poles would go into so that, so that no one would ever actually touch the ark itself. When the ark had to be moved, they would touch the poles that were in the, uh, through the rings of the ark, but they would never touch the ark itself. Perhaps you recall, recall a story elsewhere in the Old Testament where they did not move the ark properly and someone touched the ark and the wrath of God came out against that person because, because we're talking about the place where God dwells a place that is holy, the Ark of the Covenant. And as, as uh, special as this Ark was, as beautiful as it must have been, covered inside and out with gold and these rings and these poles, we do remember it was just a box. It was a big a box. But... But on top of the box, we see something even more significant. In verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. And this mercy seat then would be put on top of the big box. This mercy seat, also made of gold, with these cherubim facing each other and their wings overshadowing the ark. And this, this, this mercy seat was actually a seat. It functioned as a chair uh, with a back on top of the ark. And it was a picture for them of the throne of God. This is where God says, I will dwell. And how does he dwell? He dwells before them, not simply in a box, but he dwells sitting on a throne. 
Remember, we have talked about that the tabernacle is a reflection of the truth of heaven. How is heaven described for us? Well, we have been learning in our Wednesday night study of Revelation, uh, beautiful pictures of heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, we read this. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. Describes the glory and the beauty and the magnificence of that throne in Revelation chapter 4. In the end of chapter 5 of Revelation, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the living creatures fell down and said, Amen. All these creatures worship around the throne of God that reflected, that pictured in the tabernacle with the angels they are facing into the throne to give God praise. It's a picture for us. A picture of God's kingly presence. We read from our text in verse 22, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. There I will meet with you. God's kingly presence in the midst of his people. We have talked in um, a number of the furnishings of the tabernacle looking particularly <clears throat> at the priestly work of Jesus Christ. But in the Ark of the Covenant, in the mercy seat, in this throne room of God, a picture of His kingship. And again, appropriate for us on this Sunday before the Ascension, the Ascension which celebrates the kingship of Jesus Christ, to look at this text about the Ark and the mercy seat. Jesus Christ, the one who reigns, who sits enthroned, reigning as king. The Ark of the Covenant and its, its beautiful presence as a throne within the people of God. I would encourage you uh, sometime this week to look up uh, Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, we have a description of the things that are inside of the Ark. In Hebrews chapter 9, uh, I begin reading at verse 1. Uh, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. That's what we're talking about, the tabernacle. For a tent was prepared, the sections in which were the lampstand and the table for the bread of presence. It's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn 
holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of gold overshadowing the mercy seat. This picture uh, given to us of the ark and its contents. And it really, if we think about it, these contents of the ark in some ways repeat what we saw in the holy place. Inside the ark was the testimony, the direction for God's people. And we talked about in the holy place that lampstand, which gave light, gave guidance, gave instruction so that ministry could go on. A reflection of that lampstand inside of the ark in the most holy place, in the testimony that is there. The law of God is a light for his people. We see the, the urn of manna. And we're reminded of God's provision for his people. Remember the story, children, of Israel in the wilderness and wondering what they would eat. And God sends them manna. God sends them bread from heaven in the holy place. We have the table and the bread, a picture of God's provision for his people. In the most holy place, we have that urn of manna, again, a picture of God's provision for his people, a repetition from the holy place into the most holy place and the Ark of the Covenant. And we have the staff of Aaron that budded. We talked about that last time when we talked about the altar of incense. It was God's selection for his chosen intercessor, the one priestly line. And that, that staff that budded inside of the ark, a reflection of the altar of incense. In many ways, the holy place furnishings are repeated in the most holy place in the Ark of the Covenant. Why this repetition? Why the repetition of, of the lamp for ministry and the, uh, the bread as a provision for God's people and the incense as a, as a ministry of intercession? We remind ourselves we're talking about, about the throne of God the place where God would dwell in the midst of his people. And, and by having these three under the throne in the most holy place, it was a reminder to them that, that God, God himself had made promises to them. Yes, it would be possible for the priests to go and enter the holy place and see these various reminders, these three reminders. But they might have to say, does God remember? The holy place is where the priest could go. God didn't go out there. God was behind the curtain. God was in the most holy place. And we have the repetition as an assurance to the people that God would not forget his promises. God was seated on this throne, and, and under the throne are the reminders of his promises to his people. 
The reminder that he would care for his people, provide for his people, bless his people. Highlighted for us in, uh, in our text in Exodus is the focus on the testimony. Two different times we hear about the testimony in verse 16. And you shall put into the ark the testimony I will give to you. Again from verse 21. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony I will give to you. This focus on the testimony, the law of God, that testimony that, that would be used to guide and direct God's people. And what, is, what, is, uh, what does the text say about that testimony? Verse 21. There I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim who are on the ark. I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. I will instruct you. I will teach you the true nature of that testimony, of that law, of that commandment. A wonderful reminder for us that God's law God's desire for us is knowable. We can know what God wants. We can know what God desires. And he says, I myself will teach you. I'm, I'm, I, I, my throne is established. My law is there. And I myself will teach you and instruct you. And God continues to do that even today. He instructs us through the testimony, through His Word, and by the power of His Spirit, enlightening that Word for us, teaching us how it is we should live. We talk about the use of the law of God as that rule of gratitude. How do we order our life knowing what God has done for us? We order it according to the law of God. The, the contents of this ark, the contents under the mercy seat, a reflection of what was in the holy place, now mirrored in the most holy place as an encouragement, as a reminder. God would not forget his promises. God would not fail to care for, provide, and instruct his people into how they should live for him. It was a picture of the throne of God. A picture of his mercy, a picture of his grace. But beyond that, beyond that, it was also a reminder that God sits on a throne of judgment. And I have on the outline tonight, uh, that last point, it's propitiatory covering. Uh, propitiation is a word we do not use very often, doesn't show up in scripture very often. But that, that, that picture of propitiation is also what's going on here in this picture of the Ark of the Covenant. This throne is a reminder that God is a God who is founded and has founded His law, His way for His people. And God will sit as judge. And, and He will use that law to judge his people. And before that law, no one is blameless. Before that law, we say all of us have fallen short. The law of God for us not only directs us in a rule of gratitude, the law of God points out our sin, points out our fallenness, and drives us to our knees. For we know that we stand justly condemned under the judgment of God. He sits on his judgment throne. 
He sits and dwells in the midst of his people as righteous judge before whom none can stand. So now we get a little more insight into the story given to us in Leviticus chapter 16. I encourage you to read that another time as well. The story of the Day of Atonement. The day, the one day in the year when the priest could go not only into the holy place, but also into the most holy place, could come before the ark. And what would he do when he came into the most holy place before that ark? He would take blood, the blood of a sacrifice, and put it on the mercy seat. Put it on this, this, the word propitiatory covering. We, we think about the atonement often in terms of the removal of our sins, the expiation of sin, and we certainly have seen that. The removal of our sins in the altar, the removal of our sins in the basin. But there's more than that in atonement. There is also the turning aside, the covering over of the wrath of God. And that's the picture in the mercy seat as well. That place where God sits as judge and blood is put upon that to cover over his righteous anger, his righteous wrath against sin. We often take sin so lightly, so so callously. God is terribly angry about the sins we commit. God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. He can't stand to look at sin. And that that righteous anger should properly fall on us. But blood was placed on the mercy seat. A sacrifice. Blood to cover over the wrath of God. To turn aside the wrath of God. This, this, this turning aside of his wrath is, is referenced for us again in the New Testament in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, we read this. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his Son to cover over his righteous wrath toward us. In propitiation, it is not as if God's wrath is changed into love. It remains holy and righteous wrath, but it is turned aside, it is covered over by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the one on whom the wrath of God is poured out. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, that very familiar text where we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. God put forward Christ as a propitiation by His blood which we receive by faith. The wrath of God, which we deserved. The wrath of God, 
which should have justly fallen on us. Instead, Christ comes, sheds His blood, and takes that full wrath that we deserved. That's the mercy seat. We receive the mercy. Christ received the judgment. The full wrath of a holy God against the sins of an unholy people poured out on Him His blood covering the mercy seat that we might know the joy, the blessing, and the glory of salvation. Oh, the Ark of the Covenant, the the center of the tabernacle, that place where God Himself would sit enthroned, ruling as king over His people, ruling righteously, ruling justly, instructing them in the ways of the testimony but that God who is also a righteous and holy judge who will judge His people for their sins unless, unless the blood covers them. Does Jesus Christ's blood cover you? Do you intend on that great judgment day before the throne of God to stand in your own might, in your own self, offering your own blood? It is never enough. It is never enough. We plead the blood of a perfect Savior. We plead the blood of a perfect sacrifice, one who was able to take the full wrath of God on our behalf. Have you embraced that, Jesus Christ, as your Lord, as your Savior, so you know the truth of the mercy seat of God, the Ark of the Covenant, more than just a gold box. The throne of God in the midst of His people. A throne of mercy and a throne of justice. A picture for us of the work of Christ. The justice of God, His wrath covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the mercy, the mercy poured out upon us. We who by faith have embraced Him as our Lord and our Savior. Oh, how we thank God for His throne, a throne of mercy, a throne of justice in the midst of His people. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, we have looked at many pictures together of the work of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And once again tonight, we are caught up short at the amazing work He did for us. Not only removing our sins, oh, we have seen the beauties of those pictures, Lord God. But He is the one who has stood in our place, taking the fullness of the wrath that we deserved, a wrath which would destroy us. Thank You. Thank You, Lord God, for these Old Testament pictures, these shadows, these pointers to what Jesus Christ has done. May we never cease to be in awe at the glorious work of salvation that He accomplished for us. And may we never cease to offer ourselves to You in joyful obedience for all that You have done for us. O Lord God, continue to teach us, instruct us in the way of the testimony, in the way of Your law. We might live in a way that brings glory and honor and praise to You. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.